What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Okay, hello Southport. It is good to see your faces. If you're not growing, you're dying. Oh, slide's not coming up the right one. There you go. (laughs) Seems like a a harsh statement, but I first heard this actually at a leadership conference uh, a couple of years ago, and it was a revelation to me. See, in my life, I'd had times of growth with God, but I'd also had times of kind of just being in neutral, you know, just coasting a bit, neither going forward nor backwards, just choosing not to deal with things right now. Um, They were usually around issues of the heart. They were usually places where God wanted me to let go of something or to trust him more, to lean in more, but I didn't want to move from where was comfortable from what I knew, the rhythms that I was content with in life. And I had rationalised that it's it's okay, it's no problem if I just be in neutral for a while, like I'm not going away from what God wants, I'm just not going towards it, I'm just not leaning into it. And I can just tread water for a while and that's okay, right? I can just stay in neutral. But if we look to creation around us, We see that God didn't make things to just stay the same, to just be in stasis. Things are either growing or withering, changing or stagnating. And in what I perceived was just staying still, just coasting in neutral, just treading water, my heart was either softening or hardening to God's work in me. John Henry Newman says, growth is the only evidence of life. Now when I'm saying that you're not if you're not growing, you're dying, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Let me be really clear about that. That is assured the moment that you surrender your life to Christ. But from that moment, we can be leaning in, opening our heart to God to mature and grow us, or we can be sitting back, closing ourselves off from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives limiting the fruit that he wants to produce in and through us. So this is a question that I'm asking now, but actually I'm going to ask it of you at the end of this sermon. Are you changing, growing, maturing in alignment with God? Or are you stagnating, withering, hardening towards him and his purposes? The option of saying that you're staying the same is not available. You're either growing or withering. The option is only that. 
Today we're going to dive into Philemon uh, as a two-week mini-series uh, and to see how this plays out in the life of two uh, leaders in the early church, uh, two people in the early church, sorry. But before we do that, let's just, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognize, um, oh Lord, that you know all of our hearts. You know where we are at. You know what is on our hearts and on our minds right now. And Lord, we give that over to you and we just ask that you would use... Um, Use this time, use these words for your glory in our lives. Father, if there's anything of me in here, just let it fall away and let your Holy Spirit just um, affirm into our hearts the things that you want us to take, take on board. Um, Lord, we surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Philemon is one of those really easy books of the Bible because it has no chapters super tiny. Um, uh, and um, we're going to only just take two weeks uh, to just do a short drop-in series in between our series on 1 Corinthians and then go back to that one. Um, and we're going to look at the two main people that are concerned in this book. One is Philemon and the other is Onesimus. This week, I'm going to look at it more from Philemon's perspective. And next week, Pastor Don is going to be looking at it more from the person and perspective of Onesimus. So, Let's dive through and read together. If you've got your Bibles, you can open it up. Uh, you can find it after Titus, before Hebrews. It's usually just one page in your Bible. Otherwise, you can look up on the screen. So Paul is writing this. A brother for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Sorry, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to just keep going into, the, into this passage bit by bit. But what's important to note here is that this letter, unlike other letters of the New Testament, was written to one person. So most of the rest of the Old Testament was written to a, a church, a gathering of the believers. We had the book of Ephesians that was written to the church in Ephesus. We had the book of Colossians that was written to the church in Colossae. Uh, but this one is written to Philemon and his family. Scholars believe Aphia is uh, Philemon's wife and Archippus is his son. And we don't hear of Philemon in any other place in the Bible, but we know that he was a leader in the church in Colossae. In fact, Philemon may not have even been this man's real name. As Philemon means affectionate and loving, which is the theme of this letter, and Paul might have actually been using that as a bit of a code because the church was under persecution at this time. Whatever it is, whether it was his real name or not, Paul is writing to this man because he has a direct message for him and his family and a request to make of them. But then it's also been shared widely uh, through the rest of the churches, as Paul's letters often were, as a way of building up, of benefiting, of encouraging and discipling other believers. And that's why, even though it was written just to Philemon, it's a benefit to us. So let's go on from verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So what you need to know about Philemon is that he is a godly man. 
Paul is not writing to correct or rebuke him, but he's writing of his great joy in the spiritual maturity of this man. That he is someone whose love and faith towards Jesus and all the believers is seen by many. That he cares for the church, that he shares his faith, that he leans in to be used by God uh, to display his glory in Philemon's life. This is a man who is caring for, investing into, refreshing the hearts of others. What an amazing thing to be said of you, that you refresh the hearts of the believers. I'd love that. Isn't that amazing? He is a leader of the church. He is a mature believer. If there was a believer who could lean back and say, you know what, I'm mature enough. Um, I'm doing the most here. I'm being a good member of the body. In fact, Paul even said that I'm amazing. Paul said I'm amazing. I think I'll just coast in neutral for a while. I think I'll just cruise for a while. It could be Philemon. But the joy of this life of faith, our life of faith, Philemon's life of faith, not the burden of it, is that no matter how mature we think we are, how faithful we perceive our life, God always has more for us to lean into and grow. Not to make us more worthy or worthwhile in his sight, but because he wants to keep drawing our heart into a more complete alignment with his, molding us into the likeness of his son. So here, even with this mature leader of the church in Colossae, Paul takes the time to write a letter to continue discipling him in regarding the application of following Christ in his life. So let's go on from verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of the fact, though, that you owe me your even, even your own life. <laughs> Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What we have understood as happened prior to this letter is that Philemon has had a slave, Onesimus. 
At this period in time, it was common for anyone with some wealth to own household slaves. In fact, the Roman Empire that ruled at this time depended largely on slaves. The entire economy depended upon it. And so there were, there were laws around slavery. Masters could do whatever they wanted with their slaves. And while some would have been quite cruel, I could imagine, others would have uh, had household slaves be more like trusted members of the family, uh, raising and teaching children, maybe even being a personal physician. But however they treated them, they were their master's possession. If a slave ran away and someone else helped him, that person could be severely punished. The slave themselves could be taken back, branded, tortured and abused for having run away. So here we have Paul sitting in prison for a few years in Rome, waiting for his court date to happen and able to see visitors. He meets Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave. And we don't know exactly how. Maybe Onesimus was in prison with him, we're not sure. But upon hearing the gospel, Onesimus believes in Christ and becomes a fellow believer, a fellow brother in Christ. We'll hear more of his story next week, but one thing that is good to hold on to, to understand who Onesimus is now, is that Paul calls him his very heart. Imagine Paul calling you that. That's another big tick of approval, wouldn't it be? And after spending some time with Paul... After Paul investing into this man, Onesimus is sent back to his former master, to Philemon, to resolve his past misconduct. But he does so with a letter from Paul, with this letter. And there's many things that we could take away from this passage, but I want to draw our attention to three key things uh, that I think God wants us to focus on today. Here's, Here's the first lesson. Restoration of relationship is a growth area God will never ignore in our lives. No matter how important the ministry Onesimus had with Paul, no matter how needed he was, the greater importance is always placed upon the reconciliation of relationships. Paul could have sent a letter saying, Hey Philemon, I've got Onesimus here. He's a believer now. Uh, I need you to forgive him from afar. Uh, but I need him to stay here. But he doesn't. Because relationship is so core to who our God is. Our God is a God of relationship. He exists in the Trinity in constant relationship. And as his children, his church, our lives are called to reflect this by having genuine love for one another and dealing with the issues of broken relationship. Matthew 5 says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 1 John says, He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And Romans 12, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Your spiritual growth will forever be stunted if there is animosity and division existing in your relationships and bitterness in your heart. This doesn't mean we have to be best friends with one another, but it does mean that we are to be at peace regarding our relationships, choosing to forgive wrongs, and doing all within our power and wisdom to restore right relationship. 
Romans 12 goes on to say this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We don't know how Philemon felt about Onesimus. But we can assume that at the very least, he felt that his trust in Onesimus had been betrayed. At the very least, that would have been where he had had been feeling. There was a rift in this relationship that needed to be healed. And it had to be healed by both men making the choice to do so, which required each of them to lean into growth. Let me just make a side note here because you might be struggling and just still stuck on the fact that you're like, hey, this is Philemon, he's a Christian, why does he have a slave? This is bad, right? (laughs) And why is Paul not condemning slavery in this letter? Well, let me just clarify for you, the New Testament actually doesn't even come and say outright, having a slave is wrong. But instead of prescribing an external practice and saying, you all have to change your external practice, What the Bible speaks to is that our heart attitude as we are followers of Christ is to change towards one another. Galatians 3.23 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The New Testament asserts that there is no difference before God of a free person or a slave and a servant. And that in the church, in the gathering of believers, everyone is equal in God's sight. Everyone is a brother or sister in Christ. And so rather than condemn the external practice that just might force people to change what they did externally, the Bible calls us to change our mindset and confront the hierarchy and assumed value of a slave or a free person. Ultimately, as believers' hearts were changed, this impacts and undermines Christians continuing to perpetuate slavery. And we too are called to this same heart posture. Now, we're not necessarily living with slaves amongst us anymore, but we do sometimes place different importance or emphasis upon people. Your importance as a person and in this church is as a brother or sister in Christ. It does not matter where you come from, what you do, who is rich, who is poor. We are all called to see each other through our relationship to Christ and love and serve one another in that way. So Onesimus is sent back and Paul encourages Philemon to embrace him not as a former slave, not with the worldly mindset, but as a brother in Christ. To do so would require Philemon to forgive, forgive the past hurts and extend hospitality and love to Onesimus. In verse 18, Paul acknowledges that Philemon is well within his rights to require compensation. He doesn't dispute that. He says, if you need to be compensated, that's fine, I'll pay it. He recognises that the wrong that Onesimus did to him was legitimate. It It was okay for him to demand payment, but Paul says, I'll pay it instead. But he doesn't let Philemon off the hook of forgiving and restoring Onesimus to not just being a slave, but now a brother. He doesn't let that take away from the request that he makes of relationship being restored and deepened between Philemon and Onesimus. 
Now, I know that we have many people in this church who are mature believers, mature men and women of faith, who've lived for many years as faithful followers of Christ. And yet many of us, myself included, would struggle to not just forgive, but embrace someone who has wronged us. To forgive a past hurt and, and seek their best. I uh, thought I was I thought I was so much better than this, but I got scammed a few weeks ago. I, as you know, I've uh, uh, had babies in the past year, and that is not happening anymore. So I decided I wanted a few more clothes, um, and I went online and I put in an order, and I was so excited about these new clothes that I was getting. And over the coming days, I started to go, "Was that? Wait, I I haven't received a tracking." like message or anything like that. So I started to look into it and realised I got scammed. I've given someone some money and, and I don't know if they even had any of those clothes. Anyway, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It is fine. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We are fine. Um, but I have to say, if the person that did that then walked into this church service, now saying that they're a believer in Christ... I'd be struggling a little bit to forgive them straight away. And let alone to embrace them as a brother or sister in Christ. And how small is that? How minute kind of uh, betrayal is that? How much more when we've been really betrayed at our core? How much more when our trust in someone who has been dear to us has been betrayed? It would be hard to forgive it would be hard to embrace him as a brother. And yet, that level of forgiveness is what Paul is discipling Philemon in. And through this letter, us as well. We're all called to forgive much, just as God has forgiven us of much, even if it feels too hard. So here's the second principle we can draw. Growth costs us but is always provided for. Leaning into change can be a challenge. Changing from how we have functioned, how we have felt, letting go of past things is uncomfortable, if not downright painful. You can't do it alone and in your own strength. Sinclair B. Ferguson says this, spiritual growth depends on two things. First, a willingness to live according to the word of God. Second, a willingness to take whatever consequences emerge as a result. Paul ends the message to Philemon after asking, asking him to do his part in restoring relationship with Onesimus with these words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we lean into growing, changing, letting go, we do so with God's grace, God's unmerited favour in our lives that enables us to do something that is beyond our strength. We will all have places, places that you have felt that you're pretty mature, you, you're pretty okay, but where God says, I want you to lean in further. I want you to surrender more. I want you to trust me more. I want you to lay down your rights further and as we do it, as we lean into growth, as we lean into change, as we lean into letting go, we will understand that bit more of God's immensity of love and grace and sufficiency for us in it. We will see his grace displayed more as we lean into growth.
Now, I need to address this because I know that there are people in this church who have dealt with domestic violence, and sometimes when someone from the front says about forgiveness and restoration of relationship, people can hear it as an instruction that they have to go and do. Uh, I want people who have experienced abuse in domestic violence situations to understand um, that this is not this story in the Bible is not to be used as a way for someone who has not proven themselves trustworthy to demand restoration of relationship from you. We are called, no matter what has been done to us, to forgive. That is true. That is core. We are called to forgive, to trust that God is the judge and not us, and to let go of any bitterness in our heart. But there are some people if they have been abusive, if they have not proven themselves trustworthy, that it is not yet safe to be back in an intimate relationship with. In this, in this passage, we see that Onesimus, he has come to faith, but what he's also done is he's spent time with Paul. He's let his life be seen by Paul and Paul to help him grow. And over time, he has shown himself trustworthy again. And it is now Paul who vouches for him. And Onesimus, with Paul's backing, still has to deal with the consequences of his past actions. I won't go into this more, but I just don't want anyone who has been in that situation to hear from my words that without any further discussion, they should go and be back in an intimate relationship with someone who has been abusive to them. And this leads into my final principle, number three. Leaning into growth is never forced, but requested. Choosing to grow, to respond to God's spirit at work in our lives, is not demanded of us, but God asks it of us. So here is Philemon, having this man Onesimus come back to him and delivering this message, this letter from Paul. He hears Paul not demanding this of him, but giving him the choice to act as Paul desires towards Onesimus. In verse 14, it says this, Paul says, But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. We don't know how Philemon would be feeling, but if you think of a time where you have felt betrayed or your trust violated, you could easily understand if Philemon felt some anger towards Onesimus. Um, if Philemon was anything like us, he might be wanting to desire that Onesimus would get a bit of his comeuppance, a bit of his uh, just rewards for what he'd done. You might even be feeling the frustration or hurt that his actions uh, made you feel. But he's being asked by his spiritual mentor, Paul, to not only forgive Onesimus, but to receive Onesimus no longer as a bondservant, as a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, Paul, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's being asked by Paul to treat Onesimus as he would Paul. Imagine that for a moment. If there's someone who's coming to your mind as I'm talking about these things, that you recognize that there's a breakdown of relationship, that there's a place where you don't really feel very compassionate towards that person, Maybe there's still some bitterness there. What would it look like for you to receive them like you would the Apostle Paul in your life? Philemon, this mature believer, is faced with a decision here. To lean into growth, 
or to stay in the situation that he's in. If Philemon chooses to respond to this request, it would not have affected, sorry, if he chose not to respond to this request, it would not have affected his salvation, but he wouldn't have just stayed stationary. It would have meant a hardening of his heart towards a fellow believer in Christ and a lack of forgiveness in his heart, which would have meant a withering, a stagnating, a leaning into his old dead self rather than being a new creation. Henry Drummond says this, if a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep muscles. And if a man does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor of moral fiber, nor beauty of spiritual growth. Even as Paul addresses Philemon, he does not instruct him like a slave without choice, but as a brother in Christ, a fellow co-worker in the kingdom. In the same way, we as pastors, we come up here each week, not pretending to be the Apostle Paul at all, but we seek to exhort you all, ourselves included, to live in a new way as we follow Christ to treat one another with brotherly or sisterly love and compassion, to minister to one another, to put one another before ourselves and our needs. We want you to come to church, to turn up here, not for yourselves, but because you've, not all because you felt like it today or because it meets your needs, but to turn up for the person God would have you greet with brotherly or sisterly love. The person God would use you to encourage and spur on. The person God would use you to minister to for his glory. As believers, we are called to live differently with one another than the world does. We don't necessarily have someone here who's been our former slave, but I'm sure if you've been around church long enough, because we're messy, messy humans who sometimes don't do the right thing, you may have some hurt from someone. Maybe someone even looked at you in a way that you just felt, oh, that didn't feel good. But we are exhorted to see one another as our brothers and sisters in Christ, to forgive past wrongs and embrace them with brotherly and sisterly love. In fact, God says that this is one of the key ways he will display his glory and witness to the world. John 13 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Growth is always about the state of our heart and leaning into our heart being soft and aligned to God's heart, serving out of love, not obligation, turning up for others, not ourselves, living in our identity as children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, having a renewed and vibrant heart rather than the begrudging, hardened, withering heart of a slave, doing what is outwardly required but not from a heart aligned to God. George MacDonald said this, all growth that is not toward God is growing to decay. Which brings me back to what I shared at the beginning. If you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not growing, then something isn't just staying the same in you. It will wither. No matter our maturity, God always has more for us to grow in, especially in love. Rick Warren said this, becoming like Christ is a long, slow process of growth. It's a process that will take your entire life. You're never done. Philemon highlights this situation between two believers, believers to make the choice to press into growth or to pull back, 
you will face moments. Perhaps some of you are even facing something right now, whether it's a big situation or a small one that's a matter of the heart that only God knows about, where you too will be faced with this decision. To lean into growth, to be changed by his spirit, having a new perspective, seeing his grace displayed in your life, seeing life flourish out of a softened heart, or staying as you are, even if no one sees it, having your heart hardened towards God's spirit and his church. As slaves, we have no, bro- no choice. As brothers, sisters, co-heirs with Christ, we have the choice to lean into growth. So this is the question I said that I was going to ask you at the end. Are you changing, growing, maturing in alignment with God? Or are you stagnating, withering, hardening towards him and his purposes? The option of saying you're staying the same is not available. There's no treading water or staying in neutral. You're either growing or withering. As this concerns the heart, I want us just to take a moment. Still got a little bit of time on the clock. And I'm just going to take a moment where some music is going to quietly play. And as this is a matter of the heart, just in your own heart, have the time with God. Ask of him, am I growing or withering? Is there evidence of life in my life or not? Where are the places where I'm resisting growth? Maybe you already can see it. You don't even need to ask God. It's already very obvious to you. But if it's not, just ask him. And then I encourage you, lean into growth. Allow him to work in and through you. You will have all that you need to do so. He always has enough. Just take a moment and we'll just have that time with God. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognise that we need your help. We need your help to live out this life of faith that we cannot do it in our own strength. Lord, we want to lean into growth. We want to lean into um, letting letting you work in our lives, challenging the areas of our life that are not aligned to your heart. Give us, Lord, the courage, the strength. And Lord, help grow our love together as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to love one another well, to grow in our understanding of what that actually looks like. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.